0: And we, we have just hit the ground running in, uh, in summer. You know, we're, we, we're starting right now. We, we're, we're not going to hesitate. We are going 100 miles an hour starting now. Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, when, when I was in school, one of the worst things a teacher could do was assign group work. So those of you that are laughing know exactly what I mean. It has nothing to do with a group work assignment, but inevitably I'd be put in a situation. There, there's going to be somebody in the group who's not going to do their part, and I'm put in a position where I either take my stand. It's the principle of the thing. They need to do their part, and I will take a bad grade, or I have to decide I'm going to do their part because I don't want the bad grade, and so you're stuck in that, that situation. So I always dreaded when a teacher would say, we're gonna have a group project. But it's not because of the teamwork. Man, I love teamwork, I love team sports. Um, I love getting a group of people together and uh, you know, uh, rowing in the same direction towards the a you know, mutually agreed upon goal. I, I love that aspect. Uh, but group work never seemed to work out in school. Nonetheless, I'm assigning you a group project this morning. Uh, and actually I'm not the one that's assigning it our kids director and our preschool director Sam and Jenny they have assigned us a group project this week it's VBS week y'all it's time it it's time we look forward to this all year long it's VBS time now if you're not aware of what VBS is we're we're becoming more aware here here at Central how we use acronyms really fast and if you're new around here, you might not know what VBS is. VBS stands for Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School has been around for over 120 years. It began in Baptist churches, and it's taken on different shapes and forms over the years. Uh, but, but for our context and what it's become is, is a week-long summer camp. We, we put on for kids. It's a couple of hours. We choose to do hours in the evening. And, and we, we have Bible stories and games and songs and crafts, and my favorite part, snacks. We have all of that stuff going on for a couple of hours uh, during the week in the evening time. And it's free, it's free for any kid who wants to come. Now the deal with VBS, for our church, it has the potential to be the biggest evangelistic outreach of the entire year. We're never gonna have that amount of people on our campus at one time, any other time throughout the year. As a matter of fact, it has the, the potential to be a, a great opportunity to welcome new families to our church, because, you know, there are people who are moving to the area, and they're looking for a church, and there are moms and dads who just realized, man, it's summer. I got to find my kids something to do, and so they get on their computer, and they Google VBS near me, and and our website's going to pop up, and they're going to sign their kid up, and so we're going to have new families coming to our church. So it's it's VBS week, y'all. We we have a task to accomplish. We're going to have uh, over one hundred and fifty kids on our campus. We're going to have all of these adults here, and and we're going to listen to Bible stories, and we're going to play games, and and once again, we're going to eat snacks, uh, and. There's, there's going to be dozens of kids who don't go to our church, maybe some kids who don't go to any church, and they're going to be here on our campus. So it's group work. It's a group project. What's, what's our mutually agreed upon goal? Which direction do we need to be rowing? What's the, the what and the why for our VBS? That's what we're going to look at today. Galatians chapter three is where we're going to be. We, we've been in the book of Galatians for several weeks, and as we kind of move through slowly, what happens is that we pick up in in the middle of an argument. And if you, you've ever walked into a room and you're picking up in the middle of an argument, uh, you kind of don't know what's going on, and so. You got to go back and you, you got to figure out what's happening. So really quick, Paul, Paul's flow of thought here, his main idea is that a, a person is not justified before God by keeping the law, but instead a person is justified before God by faith in Christ. That, that's his main idea. And then in Galatians chapter three, he begins to support this idea. Uh, he, his first reason, like we know that this is true because he says, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit when you did a bunch of stuff. It was by belief. That, that's his first reason, his first support. His, his second reason and support, he says, we, we know that this is true, that people are justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. We know this is true because it was true about Abraham. You can go back and read in, in the book of Genesis that Abraham believed God, and his belief was counted to him as righteousness, not his law-keeping. Well, so now, where we're gonna be this morning, Paul has another piece to his argument. And it can be summarized like this. Law-keeping leads to a curse, but faith in Christ leads to a blessing. So we're gonna look, Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse 10. Let's read it, and then we'll walk through it together. Here's what Paul wrote, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Oh God, we hunger for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us, and you would apply it to our hearts, and it would motivate us to move. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So this text can be broken up into two sections. Law-keeping leads to a curse, faith leads to a blessing. The first section is verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, Paul summarizes this section by saying, those who rely on the law are cursed. Those who rely on the law are cursed. And really, you, you can kind of, uh, he implies those who rely on the law in order to achieve righteousness before God are under a curse. Now, what is a curse? A curse is, is judgment from God. So think about this with me for just a second. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible, it's part of of what is known as the Torah. Here's what happens, Moses goes into Egypt and he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and they wander in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, okay, they're on their way. That original generation died in the wilderness on the way. They weren't the ones who were going to go into the promised land, there was a new generation that was going to go. So the book of Deuteronomy is Moses saying, look, you guys are gonna go into the promised land and there's some things I need you to know. If you start to read Deuteronomy, you'll see he tells the whole story, how God rescued them and saved them and gave them the law. And and he starts to tell them, you've got to obey this law, you've got to, because in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, there are blessings and there are curses. Moses assembles the people at Mount Ebal, just outside the promised land. It's this new generation. They're going into the promised land. Moses himself isn't even going. And he assembles them, and he says, look, you have to keep the law. Because if you keep the law, there are blessings. And he lists out all the blessings that you could think of. He lists them all out. And then there are curses for those who do not keep the law. So if the people of Israel would keep the whole law, then God would give them the whole land. And they would live there. They would be fruitful under the blessing of God in in the presence of God. He was gonna build his temple there and focus his presence in that temple. They were gonna have abundant life in the presence of God. But if they disobeyed the law, then there were going to be curses. And they're like the complete opposite. One of the ways that Moses summarizes those he says that you'll be frustrated in everything you attempt to do and you will perish as a forsaken people. These curses culminate in, in Deuteronomy 28. They, they culminate with this word exile. If the people do not keep the law, God promises I'm going to send another nation stronger than you and they are going to destroy your cities, they are going to uproot you And in the most horrific way ever, they're going to take you to a land that is not your own, away from the presence of God. So so here's, here's what this amounts to. If Israel would remember to keep the whole law, God promises abundant life in his presence. But if Israel forgets to keep the whole law, then he promises destruction and exile away from his presence. Blessings and curses. Now, Paul's in Galatians in the New Testament and he says, if you are someone who re- would rely on keeping the law to, jo- to justify yourself before God, then you're under a curse. You are destined for a miserable existence in exile away from the presence of the Lord. And he's not speaking of a physical exile, he's speaking of a spiritual, eternal exile away from the presence of the Lord. If you would rely on the law, you are under a curse. And so how does he get there? Well, he gives us three pieces of support, three things he's gonna argue here to help us understand what he means. The, the first one is this, it's found in verse 10. If you would rely on keeping the law in order to justify yourself before God, you are under a curse. Because if that's your plan, you have to keep all of it. Not most, all. He says in, in verse 10, he, he quotes Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 27 and a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 28. So here's what Paul reasons. He says, if, you, if your plan is to keep the law so God has to accept you, then you're gonna have to go ahead and keep it all. That's what Moses told them at Mount Ebal before they entered the promised land and that logic still applies today. You wanna try to earn God's uh, righteousness, then you're going to have to keep all the law and that's absolutely devastating. The reason why that kind of thinking is devastating is because you can't do it. You can't do it. We know this about the people of Israel. Moses says blessings and curses and what do they do? They fail. Several hundred years after Moses speaks these words, the Babylonians swoop in and they, they take down the, uh, the people of Israel and they exile them. They take them away from the presence of the Lord and the temple where God's presence was is absolutely destroyed. The people of Israel failed and, and Paul's point is, and you will fail too. You know this. This is not a secret. This, this is not a se- We can't even keep the standards we set for ourselves much less God's standards. You have to keep all of it, and so if that's your plan, I'm gonna keep the law in order to make God like me, then you're under a curse, because you can't keep it all. And here's his second reason. He says in verse 11, justification is by faith, not the law. That's how it's always been. Justification is by faith. And then he, he quotes this, this uh, scripture. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quotation from the book of Habakkuk. Now, you you're probably not all that familiar with the prophet Habakkuk. You may have seen some verses from there, but here, here's what's happening. It's a short book, but, but here's what's happening. Habakkuk is, is wrestling in his mind. He knows, God has said, if, if my people will not keep my law, then I'm going to exile them. He knows this, and he believes it. But then God tells Habakkuk, and I'm gonna send the Babylonians to do it. And now, now Habakkuk has a problem with that. He, he actually complains to the Lord about this. The Babylonians are more wicked than we are. How are you going to send them to do your will? And you know how the Lord responds to him? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And then in the next couple of chapters, he explains to Habakkuk that, yeah, they're going to be exiled off to Babylon, but there's coming a day that I'm going to send them back to the promised land. There's going to be a a new exodus, not, not from Egypt, this time from Babylon. I'm going to bring them back into the land. The righteous shall live by faith. And so Habakkuk believes this. He knows what the Lord has spoken. It's hard to swallow, but he's gonna trust in the Lord. And so you get to the end of Habakkuk and he says something like, I can trust in the Lord even if the fig tree doesn't blossom and even if the vines are lacking fruit. I can trust in him because the righteous will live by faith. That's how it's always been. That's how it was with Abraham. That's what is being explained to us in Habakkuk that, that a person is justified by faith and not the law. The righteous person lives by faith. And then Paul gives a third reason why. Somebody whose plan is to rely on the law in order to justify themselves before God, somebody like that is cursed. Here's his third reason. He says, because law and faith are not the same thing. In verse 12, he says, the law is not of faith. They have different outcomes. They have different purposes. The law is not of faith. And then he quotes another scripture from the Old Testament, the one who does them shall live by them. You think Paul thinks the Old Testament is important? Now he's in Leviticus, Leviticus 18. If you, you read Leviticus and you're, you're like, what is this book? Here, here's how you can know what that book is. If God is holy and he wants his people to be near him and they are unholy, we've got ourselves a problem. So how are an unholy people supposed to live near a holy God? That's the book of Leviticus. Well, in Leviticus 18, the Lord speaks to the people who are traveling on their way to the promised land, and he tells them, you're coming from Egypt, but I don't want you to act like Egyptians. And you're you're going to Canaan, but I don't want you to act like Canaanites. I want you to obey my law. Obey my my law, and and he says this in, in Leviticus 18, obey my law, my rules, and the one who does them shall live by them blessing. If you'll keep my laws, you will live. But as we have seen, that's not what happens. The people of Israel, they they don't keep the law. They, They don't live by the law because it's impossible. You can't do it all. You can't be perfect. And so the law and faith, they are not compatible. They don't accomplish the same things. The law says do. Faith says believe. The law says keep all of the commands and live. And faith says look to Christ and live so in verses 10 through 12 here's Paul those who would try to keep the law in order to justify themselves before God are under a curse because you can't keep it all perfectly we've seen in the Old Testament time and time again they can't do it and neither can you and the outcome is a curse exile away from the presence of the Lord Those who rely on the law are under a curse. Here's the second part. Verses 13 through 14. Here's a summary statement for those. Those who rely on the cross of Christ are blessed. Those who rely on the cross of Christ are blessed. I want you to notice in verse 13 how he doesn't even have a transition statement. It's almost as if he can't even wait to get to the sentence he's about to write. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is the greatest news in the world. This is the announcement that we get to make as the people of God. That's why the the hymn writer, he wrote that one line, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. I love to proclaim it. You see, those who rely on the law are under a curse. They are under God's judgment. They will be exiled from the presence of the Lord. That's eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord. But Paul says here, but, but that curse, Christ has redeemed us from that. He's redeemed us. That, that word redeem points to the exodus. You know, the, the people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And the way the, the Bible often re- refers to God's rescue of those people out of Egypt, he, he calls it redemption. There was a price that was paid, and they were redeemed. They were, they were rescued out of that. Like God pulled them out. He delivered them from an enemy that was too strong for them. And, and what Paul is saying here in Galatians 3, he redeemed us, but not from Egypt. He redeemed us from a different enemy that was too powerful, too powerful for us. That's sin and death. And Satan, he has, he has redeemed us from the clutches of our own wickedness, from this curse that is to come. He has redeemed us. How? How did he do that? How, how did he take away the curse from us? He tells us in verse 13, he became the curse for us. He became the curse. He took the curse that we deserve. Like, if Jesus were standing at Mount Ebal in the book of Deuteronomy, and he heard Moses' words, if you keep the law, you'll be blessed, and and, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. Well, he kept the law, and he deserves the blessing. But you and I, if we were standing there, we, we would hear that, and we're like, well, we deserve the curse, because we failed. And what Paul explains in Galatians 3 is that Christ, though he deserved the blessing, he took the curse for us. Christ has become the curse for us. How was Christ cursed? Paul again goes to the Old Testament to show us. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 21, and he says, remember in Deuteronomy 21, where it says, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. In the ancient world, someone who had committed a a really bad crime could be punished by hanging on a tree. It was a, a deterrent to anyone else. Anyone else who who might be tempted to commit that crime, they would see that, don't do, do that. Hundreds of years after Moses wrote Deuteronomy, the Persians invented a thing called crucifixion. And many years after that, the Romans perfected crucifixion. In the first century, the Romans crucified lawbreakers. I need to get a drink. I'm not getting choked up about crucifixion. In the first century, the Romans would crucify people in invisible public areas, like the city gate, the entrance and exit to the city. And and these criminals who had committed these terrible crimes would be crucified there so that everyone could see, you don't mess with Rome. Whatever that guy did, you don't want to do because this is a horrible way to go. And the Jews, they, they would walk in and out of the city and they would see these people crucified. They would look at that person and they would wag their heads. They would look at that person and say, that person is cursed. You can look it up. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Anyone who's hanged on a tree is, is cursed. So they're hanged on a tree. So that means that God has forsaken and rejected that person. That's what the Jews would see from the Bible. Well, then the apostle Paul, he starts going around to these different Jewish synagogues and he'd walk in and he'd begin to teach that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that's gonna come save the day for all of us. And the Jews would say, there's no way. You can look it up. You can look it up in your Bible, Paul, If someone's hanging on a tree, they are cursed. God has clearly rejected that person. A crucified Messiah is no Messiah at all. And it's as if Paul kind of makes this argument. He says, but what if that Messiah is not dying for his own sins? What if that Messiah is dying for the sins of someone else and that has that has taken place. Jesus was hanged on the tree not for his own sins. He became a curse for us. He was treated as if he was a sinner for us. He didn't hang on the tree for himself or for his own sins, but for you. For you and for me. So Martin Luther the great reformer, he wrote uh, a commentary on Galatians. And and in his commentary, he wrote something about these verses that that are uncomfortable for me me to read and and almost feel scandalous to read. And I'm gonna gonna read it to you. Uh, Here's what Luther wrote. He says, whatever sins we have committed, they are Christ's sins as if he committed them himself. And then he, he wrote this. God sent his son and said to Jesus, Son, you are now Peter the liar. To Jesus, you you are Paul the persecutor. You are David the adulterer, Adam the disobedient, the thief on the cross. That's uncomfortable to me. Jesus is holy. He he is sinless. He deserves the blessing. He never failed. Not one time. He he never failed. So how is it that we could look at him and say, well, there's a liar and there's a persecutor, there's an adulterer, there's a thief on the cross. How can that be? It it feels scandalous, but it must be so. Because listen to what Luther wrote. He, He says, our sins have to be Christ's sins or we shall perish forever. And then he says a little bit later, if Christ bears our sins, then we do not bear them. But if Christ is innocent of our sins and does not bear them, then we must. Someone is going to bear these sins. Will it be you or will it be Christ? Would you inherit eternal life? Would you have your sins forgiven? Would you enjoy blessing in the presence of God? And Christ must bear your sins on the tree. He must. If you were here for our Good Friday service, we did a little activity up here, another group project. We had had crosses up here. And, and we encouraged people to write their sins down on a piece of paper, and when they were ready, come forward and nail their sins to the cross, it, symbolically, to remind ourselves of, of what Christ has done. And then, last week, we, we sang this, this old hymn, we sang, my, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We sang that verse last week, but I wanna tell you, listen, I wanna tell you this morning, our sins were not nailed to an empty cross. Our sins pierced through the flesh and the muscle and the nerves and the blood and the bones of our sinless savior so that our sinful souls could be counted free. This morning at Central, we preach Christ crucified for you and for me. Christ crucified. He bears our curse. That's the message that we get to proclaim. We get to proclaim that, that, that God is holy. He is creator of all things, and he is the judge. He alone has the right to determine right and wrong. And he created us. We've got the holiness of God, but what about the sinfulness of man? He created us, and one day each of us individually will stand before the judgment seat of God. And no one is righteous. Not even one. That's the first half of the message that we get to proclaim, and that's really bad news. But it's only the first half. You, you have to continue on to the next part because, because Christ is our righteousness. He bears the curse for us. He redeemed us out of our curse by bearing it for us so that we inherit what he calls in verse 14 the blessing of Abraham, the Holy Spirit and eternal life. We inherit the blessing. He gets the curse, we get the blessing. This is the greatest news in the world. There is no greater message. There is no greater task. We have no other job but to proclaim this message. Christ has been crucified and he offers eternal life, the forgiveness of sins to anyone, anyone who would believe. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, Christ has been crucified, he will bear your curse and he offers eternal life to you. Listen, it's VBS week, y'all. We've got a message to proclaim. The theme verse is Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What is the good work that we have been called to this week? It's VBS week, y'all. That's the good work that we've been called to Our campus is gonna be full of people, kids and adults who need to know Christ has been crucified for you and for me. This is a group project we have. What's gonna be your role? What's the part that you have to cover? I've got a little checklist, all right? First part of the checklist is sign up your kid or your grandkid. Okay, sign sign up your kid. I know, you're you're thinking, this is the way Central does it all the time. They know I'm coming. (laughs) No, we don't. Sign up. Go on the website, centralr.com backslash VBS. It's not that hard. Sign your kid up so we can plan for you. It is tomorrow. It is, in fact, tomorrow. So make sure that you've signed up your kid or if your grandkids are coming, make sure that you get them signed up. And then sign up to serve. There are so many different places that you can serve in VBS One of the reasons why you may not sign up to serve is you may think, please don't put me in a room with second graders and have me teach them. Um, You know, there's some people that are really gifted at that, and those are the people that we've placed in those positions. There are so many other places that you can serve. You can pass out snacks. That's what I'm doing. I'm passing out snacks. That's a great job you can sign up for, but but that's part of what we're looking for people to be. Look, we want to be a people who are generous in all things, A people who are generous in our time, our talent, and our treasure in order to forward what God is doing in his kingdom among us. And many of you are generous with your time. And you've already signed up to serve. You're gonna give a couple of hours every night of the week, this week. And you're you're generous with your time. Some of you are generous with your talent. And you know you're a teacher and you're signed up to teach. Or you know that you're good with rec or you're good at passing out snacks. I'm really good at selecting and tasting and, Passing out snacks. You, you signed up and that's your gift and you're, you're generous with it. Some, for some of you, your gifting, your talent this week might actually just be availability. I, got, I can be there. And we, man, be generous with, with that ability. And be generous. Man, we, this church has been so generous with our treasure, with our finances. And your faithfulness in giving throughout the years allows us to do things like VBS that reaches the community, reaches our kids, but also reaches the community, and we don't have to charge anybody anything. It's it's your faithfulness, your generosity in giving, and so excel still more. Don't give up. This is not job done. We've got more things to do, more work to do. Continue to give. So sign up your kids, sign up to serve, and here's the last thing on my checklist. This is for everybody. Make sure you do your part invite. Have you invited somebody to VBS? We've been harping on that for a few weeks. I bet you haven't yet. Who have you invited to VBS? There are are some families in our community who have never heard the name of Jesus. Who can you invite? You got a neighbor? You got a back neighbor? Somebody down the street that you've seen their kids running around? You can invite them to VBS. What's the worst that could happen? They tell you no. Invite them. See, we're we're fighting for the hearts of the next generation here. We are fighting for their hearts, not behavior modification, because those who rely on the works of the law in order to be justified before God, they're cursed. We're not not trying to get people to be better people. We're trying to get people to trust in Jesus. We're fighting for their hearts, and, and we're asking you to be a part Be generous in all things to be a part of what's taking place this week because it's VBS week, y'all. It's a big deal. Here's the last thing I'll say. We're asking you to like share Jesus and we've got a message to proclaim and to share. That message falls flat if you don't believe it. Are you trusting Jesus as an individual, Are you trusting him? Do you you try to earn God's favor by keeping a list of rules? Or are you trusting in Jesus? Maybe you've never done that before. You've never actually decided, you know what, I'm going to trust Jesus only. And you want to do that today. I urge you, do it. In a second, we're going to have some pastors and, and prayer team up here and and you can come speak to one of them and let them know you can just grab them by the hand and say, Look, I need to know more about this. I want to I trust in Jesus for the first time. That may be you today, and that may take some boldness from you. There may be others of you that you've trusted in Jesus and you know it, but I'm urging you continue to trust him. You don't start with faith and then, and then try to keep a list of rules to make God to still like you. No, continue to trust him. Don't bear the curse anymore. He's got it. Walk in the blessing, the forgiveness of sin.